us to turn our attention to Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 5. Matthew chapter 7, if you have your Bibles. If not, get your digital Bibles out. Underline it. You know, you can underline those things. Open up your app and just pop, hit that, that verse. and automatically underlines it. And you can keep on underlining it as you go along. All right. Matthew chapter 7. Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 1, judge not that ye be not judged, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the, note, the mote rather that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thy own eye? Thy hypocrite, first, everybody say first, cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote of thy brother's eye. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Along with that, I want us to look at uh, Hebrews chapter 12 that began our series on the 10 waste sins and struggles that easily beset us. And... Uh, Chapter 12 of Hebrews, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Praise God. Tonight, I want to address the weight of criticism and judgment, really. So laying aside the weight of criticism, and I tie to that subject judgment. It's not the you know, official title that I wrote up, but I, I, I put it down to make sure I don't forget because there's, uh, there's a definite direct link between criticism and judgment. And you'll see why in a moment. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for this time that we have together, together, with each other and together with you and together with your word. And we pray, O oh Lord, that as your word goes forth, that it would edify your church, your body, O oh God, that we can grow up, mature into you, O oh Lord, that we would fulfill our place in your body and your kingdom as you will. And Lord, we thank you for the wisdom you have given us through your word. And we thank you for the anointing of your spirit that energizes everything that we hear and helps us to apply it to our lives and to make the appropriate changes that we may be changed into your image from glory to glory. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, because we couldn't do it by ourselves. We praise you for it. Thank you for it. Hallelujah. In Jesus' mighty name, let the church say amen. And let's clap our hands to the Lord one more time because he is certainly deserving of all of our praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Thank you. God bless you. You may be seated. I'm telling you, I'm still rejoicing over a Sunday service and a missionary service and uh, then prayer meeting Monday night. I tell you, it just keeps getting better and better. Oh, he gets better and better as the days go by. Oh, what a love between my Lord and I just keep falling in love. Well, that's a song, sister. We got to sing that. Hallelujah. Some of the time. Thank you, Jesus. I just keep falling in love with the Lord more and more over and over again. Don't you? Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. So that's what I see my role as. I don't, I don't interfere with your lives much. Hallelujah. But, 
But you know, when I do, I speak into your life. If you yield to me, if you give me the chance, even then I'm very careful what I say. I'm mostly concerned with feeding the flock with knowledge and understanding so that you would fall in love with Jesus Christ. Amen. That you fall in love with him and then you find out what it is that pleases him and you begin to do it. And then if God begins to deal with your heart to do something in the kingdom, amen, then it's my job to be a facilitator to help you to fulfill that call or that talent to be placed in the right place in the kingdom in his body so you would actually feel fulfilled and content. Because until you do that, you'll never be satisfied. Amen. You can have the Holy Ghost all you want. But if you're not actively involved in the work of God somehow, amen, that you will be, you'll not really uh, fulfilled. You'll be unhappy. And, uh, and so uh, that's my task. Praise the Lord and uh, to help you. Now, if I need, I'll speak to you sometime when necessary. But uh, I'm very careful when I do that. All right, I want to talk to you tonight again about laying aside the weight of criticism uh, and it also involves judgment. Now, this is a very difficult subject, I'll tell you that. I told my wife that I, today, I, I died, not literally, a thousand deaths over this because this is a difficult subject. It really is. There's so many different ways you can go on this subject and, and you can cause so much trouble. You can get yourself into so much trouble with this. It's like, a, I, I told my wife, I, I, it just, I picture this hot boiling kettle on the stove with no handle to grab. And you're trying to get it off the stove and you don't know how to grab it without getting burnt. And, uh, and that's the kind of subject in part that we're dealing with tonight. But God's going to give us wisdom and leading. And I pray that it would bless you and somehow help you and gain insight into this subject that is a weight with many and can be problematic in the body of Christ. So again, this is a difficult subject, but uh, uh, it's something that the Bible addresses. And so we're going to address it. We're silent. We're the Bible silent and we're... You know, we talk about what the Bible talks about and stick with that. Well, there are, as you know, some weights that need to be laid aside. And yet there are also some weights that we must bear while we're down here below. Now, that's another Bible study. But note Hebrews 12, one that we read said to lay aside not every weight, but every weight that besets us. Those weights that slow us down in our race. Those weights that hold us back from reaching our objective. Amen. And so there are some things that we must bear. And the Bible tells us about that. I'm only going to touch on it. Touch on that. That there's certain weights. In fact, Galatians 6.2 tells that we ought to bear one another's burdens. Well, that's weight. Hallelujah. But it can't be one that slows you down. It's not meant to slow you down. It's, it's we ought to bear one another's burdens. We need to weep with them to weep and rejoice with them that do rejoice. And we need to pray for one another and pray with each other. Those are bearing one another's burdens. 1 Corinthians 13, 7, speaking about love, says, Love bears all things. It's charity. Charity. Love bears all things. And that's sometimes carries with it a lot of weight emotionally and mentally. And you're zapped of energy when your love is suffering long. Amen. John 15, 8 says that here it is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Now, you know, we all want the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, God desires that. We need to have the fruit of the Spirit, more so than the gifts of the Spirit. Nowhere are we commanded 
that we ought to exercise the gifts of the Spirit. You can get to heaven without exercising any gift of the Spirit, but you can't get to heaven without having the fruit of the Spirit. Amen. Jesus is looking for fruit, John chapter 15. And if he doesn't find fruit, the Bible says, then our, us as we as a branch that doesn't bear fruit is good for nothing except to wither away and be cast into the fire to be burned. Hallelujah. So we ought to bear fruit. And here is the Father glorified that we bear much fruit. You know, have you ever seen fruit trees? Uh, as I have when I was a child and orchards all over the place, you know, uh, even at Eckert's you go out there, you know, getting peaches and apples. Those trees, the limbs bend because of the weight of all that fruit. Amen. There is weight that comes with fruit. Amen. And when, you, when God is growing fruit through you in the spirit, some of that carries a certain kind of a burden with it. It's a good kind of weight. It's a good kind of burden. But it's something that God expects us to not only to bring forth, but also to bear. Proverbs 29.2 says that, uh, that when the, the righteous are in authority, the, the people rejoice. But when the wicked bear rule, the people mourn. When people exercise authority, it doesn't really matter if they're wicked or righteous. It comes with a certain kind of a burden. You sitting in a judge's seat, you're a governor, you're a, you're a mayor, you're whatever capacity you're in, whether president or a senator or a legislator, at any level of government, there is a kind of a weight that goes along with it. And even in, in, in ministerial leadership, there is a weight, there is a burden that goes along with the call. You cannot escape it. And that is a burden that we must bear. In fact, in 1 Timothy 5.14, the Bible tells us that younger women are to marry and bear children. Now, that's give birth to them, but it's also to bear them. It's to bear that burden until they're matured and raised and grown up and become the mature, fruitful, godly Christians that God intends for them to be. And that, you talk about a burden. And if you've not had children, you don't know maybe what I'm talking about. But, but you know, if you have relatives and you've got little kids in your family, you know what I'm talking. You kind of get a taste and a feel for it. And so there are some things that we must bear. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. In fact, uh, the, the work of the kingdom is that way. Hallelujah. Uh, the Bible tells us uh, Jesus giving that parable of the, the 11th hour workers and he hired laborers to go out in his field and he paid them a penny for that hour. But he hired workers early in the morning for a penny for the whole day. At the end of the day, when the people who worked all day long out in the field came in, uh, they got a penny and then the people who worked only the last hour got the same amount and they were upset. And they made this statement. He says, you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the heat of the day. There are a lot of people that have gone before that have borne the burden of the heat of the day. Amen. And we are here in the last hour, but we are not coming behind them. And they are not going to get any less than we. Amen. We are all in this together. But the point is, there is a weight to be borne working for the kingdom in this world until Jesus comes. And the reward is with him. Can somebody say praise the Lord? Praise Amen. So one of the, of the ways that we must lay aside, however, is this tendency 
to be overcritical. We cannot be overly critical. Now, the definition of criticism, as I Googled it, <laughs> the secular Bible, but I, I looked at other things to several dictionaries. Rest easy, hallelujah. Google is not my only source for definitions. And uh, it really is not. I have to compare it with others because I do not trust Google's definitions. I don't trust any modern definition. I want to go back to the old Daniel kind of Webster kind of definition. Webster's definition. Hallelujah. Amen. But criticism is defined as an expression or disapproval of someone or something based on perceived faults or mistakes. Criticism is an expression of disapproval, usually negative, of someone or something based on perceived faults or mistakes. And interestingly, the root word for this word criticism is criterion, singular for criteria, criterion. And a criterion is a principle or a standard by which something or someone may be judged. Hallelujah. The plural form, I mentioned, is criteria. Again, it's a standard on which a judgment or decision may be based. Now, that's dictionary definition. A judgment or a decision. You see criteria, the root word of, 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 of uh, critical? Amen? Of criticism? Amen? It's a criteria, a standard that you use to make a decision about something or someone. And uh, it's so definitely uh, tied to the concept of judgment. And there are examples uh, of manufactured products that we can look at uh, which uses criterion to, uh, to measure their, their performance or their quality. One is steel. Uh, they, 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 in the industry, they, they have these uh, quality control officers or managers that, that check the quality of the steel to make sure that meet the criteria of specifications. Amen? Computer chips. They've got to pass a certain test. There's a standard. There's a criteria to which it is measured. Amen? There are certain vitamins and foodstuffs that are, are, that are sold on the market. And they are tested by the Food and Drug Administration. And they will tell you they have been tested and approved by the Food and Drug Administration to meet certain standards. And then you have many supplements that you're ordering or taking uh, over the counters. And they will tell you this vitamin or whatever it is that you buy has not been evaluated by the FDA. No criteria or standard has been applied to make a decision or a judgment upon the efficacy or the, or, or the success or the effectiveness of that particular product. So criteria, uh, it offers this certain standard and established uh, uh, rule that something is measured against. And so when we look at criticism on a human level, it is judging or evaluating a person based on certain criteria. Amen. It's, it's judging or it is evaluating. Now, there are two types of criticism uh, that we will look at tonight. One is a legitimate type of criticism. It's legitimate. It, uh, it, it stands uh, to, to a reason that it, it must be done. It has a specific role and reason. And then there's the illegitimate, illegitimate, hallelujah, criticism. Amen. So when you look at a legitimate criticism, uh, you're looking at a qualified person who makes an informed judgment based 
on acceptable criteria. For example, I mentioned to you the quality control officers and plants and so on and manufacturing. But the same is true uh, on, on human levels, like with teachers, for example. Teachers are uh, ones who correct students' assignments and they, they oversee uh, their, their product, they oversee their work uh, on a given subject. Now, the teacher knows what the subject is. They've been trained in that subject. The teacher knows what the criteria is. And he or she makes a decision about the student's performance based on what the standard requirements are. And a parent judges the behavior of a child based on the house rules. Hmm? You lay down some rules for them. Hopefully you got some rules for your house. Otherwise, you'll never have any peace. Amen. I used to tell my kids when they argued, I didn't know who did what. And it all started, me, it all started when he hit me back. That kind of thing, you know. And I tell them, look, I don't have eyes in the back of my head. I don't care. Who, but I do care who did it. But amen. I said, I don't know who's right and who's wrong. But I'm telling you, my peace is more important to me than who's right or wrong between you. I said that, Sister Melissa. I did. I leaked. I'll lead down the law. And you know, this is the truth. Even in marriage, the Bible says, hey, we're called on peace, 1 Corinthians 7. And if you don't have peace in your home, you don't have anything. You better value peace more than anything else. God does. It's the second pillar of the kingdom of God. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And I'm telling you right now, if you don't have peace, never going to have joy. Hallelujah. A parent judges the behavior of a child based on the house rules. A pastor judges a church member's behavior based on biblical standards. And everybody said, amen. amen. I don't make any judgments um, based on my own opinions, on my own whims, or my own ego. I don't have the authority to do that. I solely have my calling, ordination, and, my, and the word of God. That's it. And even at that, I'm careful, again, with how I exercise my, my authority. But, but notice that exercising criticism and judgment of others in particular involves assuming and asserting a level of authority over another person that may or may not be legitimate. See, when you become a critic, when you become you know, someone who evaluates and, can, and judges somebody else, what you're doing is you're setting yourself into a position of authority over them, saying, I know better, I have authority over you, and therefore I'm going to tell you what I see is what you're doing wrong. That's why Jesus said, be careful how you judge. Too often we begin to judge others when we have no authority to do so. And we try to, to, to assert our will by sheer force of personality to rise above them and really give them a piece of our minds. And we have absolutely no right to do that. And even if you have a right, you have to be careful as a Christian how you use that right. Because there's a right way to do the wrong thing. And there's a right way to do the right thing. And so it is with, with criticism. So le legitimate criticism is necessary, absolutely, to test 
the validity of products and ideas and indeed the behavior of people. We, gotta, we have to be judges. And I have all kinds of scriptures to prove that point, but that's not the focus of my lesson tonight. Uh, too often people draw the wrong conclusions about Matthew 7, 1 through 5. I'll deal with that a little bit. That doesn't mean you shall not judge. It says you better be careful how you judge. But judgment is absolutely necessary individually, personally, and in the house of God, the church of God. And we must administer truth and mercy and compassion uh, with a purpose of restoration at all times. Amen. So when, when, whenever you criticize another person, you're really asserting your authority over them. Uh, and that may be problematic, as I said, because you may not occupy a position of authority over that person. It's understandable. No, it's a teacher, position of authority, invested with authority over the children and to teach certain things in their realm. A parent, obviously, ordained an authority over children in their household. Amen. It's, it's ordained of God. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for that is the will of God. Right. Ephesians 6. Amen. And so a pastor, same thing. You know, we, we have this official uh, authority that we receive from God. Jesus said this power, this authority comes from above. The only way we can have it, if, it, if it, God gives it to us. Jesus said that the Pontius Pilate, this Pontius stands before him, judging Jesus. He said, don't you know that I have power, authority to crucify or let you go? He said, you have no power, authority whatsoever unless it was given to you from above. Jesus recognized his authority as a as a representative of, a, of an empire and a government, he submitted himself to it. He did. And that's why he said, you know, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is from an invisible kingdom. And if my, my, if my kingdom was of this world, then would my servants fight. But they're not from this world. Pilate heard that. He says, I find no fault in him. The point is, is that uh, that that. Even, even uh, Jesus recognized the power and authority that, that Pilate exercised at that point came from God in the will of God. Because Jesus said, for this reason I came into the world, for this reason I was born, that I would testify the truth. Of course, he knew that he'd be crucified. And so, again, uh, whenever we, we criticize the person, we're putting ourselves in a position of authority over them. And we have to be careful of that. Notice the examples that I mentioned above again. Teacher, parent, pastor, there are people in authority, just a few of them that I mentioned. So this is why the scripture warns us uh, to be careful when it comes to criticizing or judging each other for that moment, for that matter. Amen. Now, we must be careful not to assert authority that we're not given to exercise. That's why the Bible tells us that there are severe consequences when we when we try to criticize and be judgmental towards someone over whom we have absolutely no authority. And like I mentioned, the only, only thing we have sometimes is power personality. People have this power play and trying to over, be overbearing and rule them, tell them what to do when they have no real position of authority, no God-given authority to do so. Amen. Now, there, there are some... Components. There are three main components that go with uh, legitimate criticism. One is that you have to have an acceptable standard used in evaluating 
a person. And we have to understand as Christians that Jesus is our criterion, criterion, singular. Jesus is our example in all things. What would Jesus do, right? WWJD. What would Jesus do? Hallelujah. And then, of course, the other criterion is the Bible, is the Word of God. We have a twofold, amen, uh, criterion, a, a measuring stick. We measure our behavior and attitudes by Jesus and, of course, the other attributes that are revealed to us in the Word of God. And all is about Jesus. For Jesus Christ is the Word manifest in flesh. He's the Bible in flesh. So one of the first components needed for legitimate criticism is using an acceptable standard. Jesus and the Word. When you begin to evaluate somebody, you better use biblical standards. The second component is uh, 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 making a judgment uh, if, if you have good knowledge of the subject. You've got to have a good handle on the subject by which you're evaluating another. The more knowledgeable a judge, the more valuable the criticism. Experts who offer criticism in their field of expertise raise that level, the quality of that decision or that knowledge of that evaluation. So it's important to be knowledgeable of the Word of God. See why this is so important to know the Word? You just can't, you just can't uh, desire to occupy a position of authority in the church and not know the criterion. You've got to know the Word. That's important. Thirdly, there must be unbiased judgment. The most valuable constructive criticism comes from somebody who is knowledgeable and unbiased. People respect that. People, people will accept that kind of criticism and that kind of knowledgeable, unbiased, not an opinion, but evaluation. Now, I'll say it up front. I think we all know nobody likes criticism. <laughs> no one likes to, to take on criticism. Amen. Uh, I don't like it, and you don't either. Uh, should I say, my flesh doesn't like it. And your flesh doesn't like it either. And uh, so we have to be careful how we, how we evaluate and what kind of remarks we make and when. There's so much to this that I can go into the timing of it uh, and, and the attitude of it and so on. But I hurry on because I'm trying to get done soon. I have a criterion to try to live up to here. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. So let's look at illegitimate criticism. It, when it's illegitimate, it's criticism without a criterion. It's criticism without a cause. It's without knowledge and without standards. It's simply, you know, your whim. They have no basis, no facts to base your, your opinion. See, what I would call it rather than criticism. But it's criticizing without thinking. And whatever comes to your mind, it comes out. It's, it's, it's criticism charading as an opinion. And that way, people don't have to take responsibility for the words they say, they think. Well, it's my opinion that, you know. Well, it's only an opinion. Yeah, right. But it's really a criticism and not constructive of that. And criticism without this knowledge and, and this criterion of, of proper 
Comparison is really just pure ignorance. So criticism without criteria is one component of an illegitimate criticism. The second thing is, is this, this uh, habit of constant criticism in a person. When somebody is constantly criticizing, uh, they do that because that's what they do. That's what, that's what they've always done. That's, that's what they have gotten used to as being their main form of communication. They criticize because that's what they're used to. They've been doing that all their life. And it's negative communication. That's their main form of communication. And these people are mostly negative in, in all their criticisms. And even in their positive criticism, they'll say, but... Yeah, that's, you, you, but, yeah, you're good at this, but there's this exception. It's, so it's this negative, positive <laughs> criticism. Uh, but, but if you think about it, there's this constant criticism in someone. It's just a sign uh, that they're not really happy with themselves. And criticizing everything is just a way of deflecting that kind of, that kind of, uh, uh, of, of, of self-condemnation, the way of not feeling good about themselves. And they deflect that criticism away from themselves. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, looking at Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 5 again, I want to look at uh, these verses. And, you know, some people uh, think, as I mentioned, that it, this is a command never to judge anything. And they think that this this segment of scripture supports the toleration of all kinds of social uh, and moral misconduct. But, uh, for example, you know, you, they think, well, you, you shouldn't say anything about condemning the, the gay lifestyle. You should not condemn them. You, you're judging them. Or you should, you know, uh, not address somebody's poor work ethic. When the Bible says if a man doesn't eat, neither should he eat. And we always talk about that. We, we qualify that. We balance that, right? Uh, it, it, God doesn't condemn somebody going through hard times. The, the Bible tells us and encourages us that if somebody's going through hard times and if they're doing without that, the church better come to their aid and help them out in food, in shelter, clothing, whatever they need, amen, temporarily. But that no one should make a career out of that kind of a lifestyle. The Bible condemns it and so do we. And we must. Same thing with moral, immoral lifestyles. Hallelujah. Uh, we, we'll condemn uh, homosexuality just as we, we condemn heterosexual immorality with, in the case of fornication and adultery. Should we give the fornicators and the adulterers a, 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 a pass simply because they're not gay or lesbian? Absolutely not. And we have a criterion. We have the word of God. We have the words of Jesus. In the beginning... He made them male and female, Jesus said. Praise God. And so it's not about, about, about judging here. Uh, we just have to be careful how to judge. In verse 1 and 2, as you read, Judge not that ye be not judged, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, the same measure will shall be measured to you again. See, it doesn't say that you're not ever to judge. It's just that you have to be careful how you judge. And with whatever measurement or criterion you use against others, it's the same thing's going to be measured back to you again. So be careful how you judge. 
And in verse 3 and 4, it says, And why, be, and why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thy own eye? You know, the beam, that big log, like a beam in the buildings. Amen. Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Simply put, don't judge with a log in your eye. Hallelujah. Don't judge with a log in your eye. Uh, you know, not with a negative attitude. Certainly not with prejudice. Prejudice meaning prejudging, meaning that you have uh, these, these preconceived ideas or notions about the case, about the person. Don't judge before you know all the facts. That's prejudicial. And so, so don't make a judgment out of pure ignorance without knowing anything about the person. Deuteronomy 1.17 says this in Old Testament, giving guidance in the application of the laws that God gave Moses. Quote, you shall not respect persons in judgment. You shall not respect, in other words, don't play favorites. There's not to be any favoritism to persons in judgment, the application of law. Or that criterion. But ye shall hear the small as well as the great. It's referring to stature in society. Ye shall not be afraid of the face of man. For the judgment is God's. But don't be afraid because somebody's mad at you for applying the law fairly and justly. God says do it because it's not Pleasing them is pleasing me because after all, it's my law. It's my standard. It's my criterion. And if I call for the death penalty for this, for this thing and, and you've tried the case, uh, hey, I don't care what kind of anger comes upon the person. You better carry out the death penalty because otherwise the whole land will be overwhelmed with that. Case in point, United States of America. Verse 5 it says, thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the moat out of thy brother's eye. In other words, before you make a final judgment, and as you evaluate a person and uh, the, the, the details and the facts of the matter, first evaluate yourself. Take a good look at yourself. Make sure that you're free of hypocrisy, you're free of, of, uh, of, of guilt, of doing the same things that this person is doing. So you're not excusing yourself, but judging him. First, evaluate yourself, and this will enable you to get rid of the beam in your own eye. And when you get that beam out of your eye, that you can rear, then you can render a fair and accurate decision. A fair and accurate criticism or judgment in that person's life. Now, negative criticism is justified if it comes from somebody who knows the criterion of judgment, keeps an eye on himself, and makes sure that his criticism is fair, not a product of simple condemnation or just bullying. Praise God. Well, criticism. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Somebody say amen or oh me. Amen. Hallelujah. I want to just leave with a few points of advice for criticism or against concern. Just 
advice on criticism in general. Number one, use it sparingly. Use it sparingly. Um, consider my position here. I, I rarely criticize people. In fact, I don't, I don't know if I have, especially not from, from the podium. If I have, I'm sorry, <laughs> sincerely. I don't remember any. I, I really don't. I, it's not my habit. And even personally, uh, again, if, 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 if there's something that needs to be said, I'll, I'll call you aside and I will, I will talk to you. And I will use the proper criteria. Uh, and, and honestly, I know, again, I mentioned that nobody likes to receive criticism. And, and no, matter, no matter how well you, you know the criteria or, or how good you are in expertise in your subject matter, no matter how fair you are in your insight all about it, you mean people will still <laughs> not like your criticism, your constructive criticism. There are emotions involved. You know, we're emotional creatures. And when we're called in on the quote, the carpet, I don't mean roughly. I don't, I don't really you know, uh, treat people roughly. I don't. I, I don't approach them that way. But I'll tell you this. Now, if, you're, if you're messing with the sheep, if you're messing with God's church, I'm going to come down on you. And even not publicly unless, you know, if your sin is in public, I'll address it in public. If not, Amen. It's something that can be handled discreetly. I always, always, 99.99% of the time, I will deal with you one at a time. And I'll tell you, this is not the right way to do the right thing. Uh, and so, so on, in all sincerity, I, I, I wait a longer time with criticism, you know, and, uh, and, and constructive criticism. I'm, I'm not, in areas where I think I'm justified, I mean, after all, quote, unquote, I have... A position of authority, but I don't abuse that, as I mentioned. And even having that authority, I'm careful in how I utilize that. It's not there to fulfill the satisfaction of my ego, never ever to be. It's to be somehow helping somebody to see their shortcoming, their weakness, to come to the place where their behavior and their walk with God becomes acceptable to him. The Bible tells us to mark them that walk disorderly among them. How can you do that without making a biblical judgment? You see. And so the Bible also tells us, as you know, uh, that if any brother's a brawler or a covetous person, don't anybody have fellowship with him. How are you going to do that if you don't make a judgment? Oh, I'm not going to judge him. Well, that's what the Corinthian church did and Paul Rake them over the coals in 1 Corinthians 5 because this one guy was sleeping with his stepmother and, or his aunt. One of the two, I can't remember the exact relationship, but he said, you know, you guys are all puffed up and show how tolerant you are. You better put that person out, turn him over to Satan until he learns to repent and not blaspheme God. Paul was there making a judgment. He's telling the church to make a judgment. And there is church. Matthew chapter 18, another case in point. Oh, if he doesn't hear the church and let him consider him as a, as a heathen. It's judgment. There is judgment to be, taken, to be done in the church. Another place the Bible tells us, don't take your, your, your disagreements to civil court among each other. You guys are going to judge angels, the Bible says. How come you can't handle the smallest matter among yourselves? Be humble. 
Humble yourself. Amen. But again, when it comes to criticism, see, there's no rule that says you got to share your opinion. Well, hallelujah. You know, I, I, I picked up a book uh, by Brother Ron Mullins uh, from California. He used to be a four-time district superintendent for the Western District. That's California, that region, California, Oregon, Washington. Anyway, I don't, can't remember all the states. They divide that up now into three other six districts, and so I don't know how it all changed. But he wrote a book a number of years ago called uh, People Are Pitiful. And we're, pe- and we're people. <laughs> I love, I bought the book just for the title. Amen. And it's been sitting on my shelf. I read some of it and I showed my wife today. I said, see, honey, um, I got one quote out of this today that I picked off the page. I said, this is, you know, the only thing that I'm using in this, in this message tonight. And I showed her, see that? I bought this book just for this quote. I do that with a lot of books. I, I, I don't read all of them. I read many of them I read. There's other, I do not read. But I, got, I look through the contest. I look in there for, for nuggets. I look in there for quotes. I look in there for, for examples. A lot, of, a lot of different things. And this is one of them. So I'm, I'm going to read you this quote from Brother Ron Mullings in his book titled, People Are Pitiful and We're People. He said this. I'll tell you this. And this went so well with what I'm talking about right now. He says, one of the things for which I'm most thankful, he says, is that I have had the good sense not to speak every thought that ever crossed my mind. <laughs> Amen. You know what? You're talking about a man who's been disrespected, pastoring for decades in the Western District, a uh, great church out there in the West Coast. But I said, you know what? That's one of those gold nuggets, you know. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, you know, when it comes to criticism... Less is more. Less is more. Can you say amen? amen? Praise God. So to be less critical, we got to consider the following before criticizing someone. Number one, is your criticism going to save someone from evil or sin? Number two, is your criticism based on your true expertise? Is it just based on your thoughts, your opinion? And third, is someone really asking for your opinion? (laughs) Or are you just sharing it (laughs) because you felt like they needed it? (laughs) And then if you do share your opinion, if you, you know, you criticize and you have a position of authority and you do it rightfully, uh, and you're in a position to speak into somebody's life, a parent, a teacher, a minister in the church, Somebody that, that is mentoring you, somebody to whom you have yielded to listen to, and who's under authority, godly authority themselves, then you have to balance your criticism. Balance your criticism. So there's always something negative that we can say about everybody. After all, we're living in a sinful, negative world. There's always something bad to say about this world. I can say all kinds of bad things about anybody in this country and the world. You can too. It seems like that's all the news reports. That's why you got to cut some of that feed off. Don't listen to all that negativity. It's nothing but criticism and, and, and telling you everything that's bad. And you hear it over and over again. It's always the same thing. I know where they're going. It's a waste of time. 
That hasn't changed since the last 24 hours. If the world has blown up, I know about it without announcing it on TV or the radio. So there's always something negative. Uh, but with, with the bitter, when we criticize someone, a little sugar to sweeten the criticism would go a long way. Right? Like the old Mary Poppins song, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. You know, it, it, it's a good song. I mean, you know. Anyway, and if a judgment needs to be made over somebody's sin or, or they're, they're falling away from God and they're backsliding, there's got to be some real hope and encouragement that has to be included with that criticism so that they don't feel like a total failure, uh, a, a totally dejected and forgotten and forsaken individual, but they've got to feel and understand that there's hope for them. That there is, see, Paul said this, we have been given this message of reconciliation. The gospel of Jesus Christ, while it's truth, and yes, it condemns sin. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It is a message of love and mercy and forgiveness and hope that we don't have to go to hell. We don't have to live the way we're living. Amen. Yes, we are sinners far, uh, far from Jesus perishing with cold. Amen. As the song says. But we don't have to die that way. Jesus gave us an option. There is a way out. There's the cross of Calvary. You can be forgiven. Your life can change. And even if you have, if you have fallen, you have backslidden, there is hope for you. You can come back. God loves you. He can change your life and make things all together new. Hallelujah. Praise God. You can be new in Christ all over again. Now, I, I, I try to remember that every time when I talk to somebody in my office and if from this church or from someplace south, they have wandered away from God and, and they want somebody to talk to them, always tell them that I don't condemn them. I'm there to help them to be reconciled to God, to, to understand that, he, that God loves them. And we all need the mercy and, and the forgiveness of God. None of us would be here tonight if it wasn't for the mercy and the love of God. Where would you and I have, would be tonight if, if God didn't forgive us for all our stupidity and all our mistakes? My word, we'd be, we'd be goners. And so, so when judgment and this criticism is made or somebody else's sin in their life, you've got you to gotta hold out that real hope, that encouragement. Look, you messed up. Yes, it's serious. You need to confess it. You need to get rid of it. You need to make course correction here. But there's hope for you here. Amen. There's a God that loves you, and he, he has your best interests at heart. And you need to turn your life around. He'll help you if he, you do your part. Repent of this thing. Don't go back to this thing. Put yourself under accountability. Be faithful to the house of God. Be faithful to spiritual disciplines. Uh, get back to reading the Bible. Get back to prayer. Get back to fasting. Get back to godly fellowship. Amen. And begin to teach Bible studies to the people who are lost. Get involved in the work of God. Tell them what great things God has done for you. Isn't that what Jesus told the man from Gadara? Lord, I want to follow you. No, I want you to go back to your village and tell them what great things God has done for you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Everybody can teach a Bible study, even a backslider. David did. That's why he said in his repentant psalm, Lord, here's my heart. Clean me up. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Then will I teach sinners. Then will I teach sinners. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody said, praise the Lord. Is that my 
Signal? Yep. Somebody did that. That's cue. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Oh, my goodness. Thank you, Jesus. All right, why don't you, why don't you go ahead and stand with me? I'm, I'll, I'll follow my cue, whoever did that. Just don't do it again, okay? I admonish you. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Stand with me, if you will. Oh, praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Listen, when we're talking about admonishing and, and uh, offering legitimate criticism, if you look in the Old Testament, you watch. that Whenever God sends a prophet... He calls them in on the carpet and starts listing all their backslidings, their idolatry, all the things that they have done wrong. And God warns them through that prophet. That prophet begins to talk about the coming punishment. The punishment is is for sure, but don't worry. There's hope. God's going to restore you, and you come back to him, and, uh, and things will be different. And God promises it so. He always finishes with a promise. And interestingly... When you look at the New Testament and, and you look at uh, the book of Revelation, the, seven, the letters to the seven churches of Asia, Jesus begins one after the other. Oh, well, let me see, see Revelation. Let me go. Hallelujah. Unto the angel of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and they are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Look at all these great positive things that Jesus lays out. And then in the next verse, after two verses of great felicitation and great words of, 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 of commendation, then he hits them right between the eyes. Verse 4, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Do you see this pattern here? Oh, I see your work. I see the labor. You hate sin and you hate all these people that hate me. You've done a wonderful work. God bless you. But you know what? I got something against you. Here's the constructive criticism. You left your first love. You don't, like, you don't love me like you used to. And you didn't lose it, you left it. You simply laid it down and picked up something else. You know, that's how most lose their first love for God. They lay down the things of God and pick up something else to do instead. Something that they think is more valuable, unfortunately. Demas He left me, as Paul said, having loved this present world. And people are still doing that, but I'm not looking at that. I'm I'm not going to do that. You're not going to do that. Hallelujah. But I'm talking about the importance of balance when applying criticism to somebody. Always check yourself first. And I meant to read, yeah, let me go ahead and do this. Romans chapter 2 from the New Living Translation, Sister Ruth, 
Hallelujah. I'm closing with this. Finally, brethren. Finally, brethren. Really, it is finally, brethren. Hallelujah. This is what Paul says in the book of Romans, chapter 2, verse 1. After in chapter 1, he's listing all the history of mankind, how they went from light to darkness, and he loved more and worshiped the creature rather than the creator. Uh, And he says, you may think that you, I'm reading the New Living Translation, you may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad or you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, then you're condemning yourself for you who judge others do these very same things. And we know that God and his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? So that's the big danger in judging others. When we don't look to ourselves and we overlook our own sins, that's just the same as anybody else, and we condemn others, but we don't condemn ourselves. And that's what the Romans were doing, the Romans Christians. Verse 5, but because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the growing honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing this evil, for the Jews first and also the Gentiles. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. Notice in this segment, he abrades them for being guilty of the same thing that they're condemning the Gentiles for. And then he ends up saying, but there will be glory and honor and peace from God to all those who do good, the Jew and to the Gentiles, for God doesn't show favor. It means even to you. You just turn around, change your attitude, stop judging others without applying the same criteria unto yourself because it's a dangerous thing. So check for logs in your eye. Paul says there's no excuse for somebody who criticizes someone else for the same things that he excuses himself in. And lastly, again, remember that Jesus is the true criterion. He is our example. Hallelujah. You know, many times when, when we criticize, the greatest problem is people show their opinion and their judgment for others by using their best version of themselves to compare others to. Many times we we compare ourselves, our best selves, to those who in our own eyes are a lot worse than we are. And the truth is that's a false standard. We have to be careful that we don't do that. Many people in the world, when you talk to them about, about God who are lost, and I, I, I said this to my, one of my relatives, and I won't say who it is, because God's still working on him. He said, I, if I, this person told me that if I stood before God, I think I'll, I have a pretty good case. 
I said, you know, you're only saying that because you're comparing yourself to other people. But when you compare yourself to God, it's a different story. And that's what really matters. How do you stand in relationship to God? Judge yourself based on His holiness and not on everybody else's behavior. And that's important. And if we compare and judge ourselves to others and to Jesus, that if He's the standard, then there'll be no room for false criticism. There'll be no room for mistakes. It will all be well. Hallelujah. And then we begin to see the people as Jesus begins to see them as objects of his love and mercy and forgiveness. Hallelujah. We just lift your hands right where you are. Close your eyes and just worship the Lord. First of all, thank him. Thank him for his love, his mercy, his salvation. Thank God that he doesn't criticize you.